Welcome to On The Move from the Texas A&M Department of Kinesiology and Sport Management. In this episode, Dr. Lisa Colvin shares her passion for para-athletics and how she brought that passion to Texas A&M. Howdy and welcome to another episode of On The Move. I'm Chelsea Reber and today I am joined by Dr. Lisa Cooper Colvin. Lisa, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So let's start with your role in the kinesiology and sport management department. Tell me exactly what it is you do. I am a clinical associate professor for kinesiology. So there are times that I can work on the clinical side, Mm -hmm. I can work in the research side, I can work on the service side, and I can do on the student service side. So it's really nice for me because I have a 30-year experience already coming here. Mm -hmm. So it's a great place for me to land for some of the most productive years of my life. So again, I'm very happy that I'm here and I can do a lot of things for the university. And let's talk about that. How did you get to Texas A&M? What brought you here? That is a great question. (laughs) My journey is serpentine for sure. (laughs) So um, if I kind of start back at the beginning, Mm -hmm. I was a high school teacher and coach in Louisiana and both of my parents were teachers. So I've played school my whole life Mm -hmm. and it It was a job I knew I wanted to do. So I went to Northeast Louisiana University, which is now the University of Louisiana Monroe, Mm -hmm. and got a bachelor's degree in health and physical education and biology and teacher certification and coaching. So I was like, this is all I'm going to do for my whole life. I'm just going to coach and teach. Loved my job. Louisiana paid for my master's degree with a program called Teacher's Improvement Program. Got a master's degree and thought, you know what? Maybe there's something else that I can do at the high school, but maybe another level. Mm -hmm. So I had a faculty mentor for my undergraduate program that encouraged me to go get my Ph.D. It was the best thing that ever happened to me. So took jobs, uh, finished both my Ph.D. at Southern Mississippi, took jobs around the United States. Um, My longest probably tenure job was back at the university where I got my undergraduate and master's. Oh, cool. It was a gr- it was a great experience. I was very nervous at the time because I'm thinking, okay, these are the people that taught me, and now I'm their peer? Yeah. It was awesome. I mean, it was a great 14 years. Then my husband is a healthcare administrator, mm. so we moved to the area, and I actually started working in athletics first. Oh, okay. In academic services. Oh, nice. And uh, during the COVID period, and then the position came available with the department, and here I am. So, so you're fairly new to the department. I am. Okay. Uh, last semester was my first semester here at Texas A&M in this department. Great. So it's just been wonderful and a blessing, and uh, wow, I mean, what a way to, to come back into academia. And I love having you on this podcast because we have interviewed some other professors who have been here for 20 plus years right. and, and then right. to, to talk, but we've also talked to students and now to talk to someone like you, who's fairly new to the department. Um, it just goes to show how many different people are in this department, but you know, how many different stages of life those people cover as exactly, well. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, it's, it's a very diverse and, in well-rounded department Mm -hmm. because there are a lot of different things that are happening in the department and the nice thing is we're in three stories of building where we can all collaborate together Mm -hmm. 
ah, it, it's wonderful. And you don't have to, yeah, A&M is a huge institution, right? Sure. And we're a large department, mm-hmm. but at the same time, we're a family. Yeah. So that's the part that I really like the most. And I can bring my experiences from all the places that mm-hmm. I've been and say, here's what I have to offer yeah. to both my students and my, my colleagues also. Mm-hmm. So that's been honestly a wonderful thing. And not just the university, but the Bryan and College Station, they have embraced my crazy ideas oh, and taking it and run with it. Okay. I want to talk about one of those crazy ideas. Yes. I think that's, it's a perfect segue. Look at you. You're a pro. You, you've done this before. <laughs> so you are also the director of A&M Para Project. Correct. Tell me a little bit more about what that project is. That project, again, was a crazy idea that I wanted to bring here because I have officiated and coached para-athletes for probably 15, 20 years. Wow, okay. So para-athletes really are parallel athletes to what you would say traditional Mm -hmm. athletics. So it's the same types of sports, but the accommodations are made based on classifications. And maybe classifications based on um, physical abilities. So say, for example, if you're visually impaired, Mm -hmm. you are classified based on your visual impairment, Mm -hmm. and then you compete in that classification. Okay. So say you're visually impaired and you run the 100 meters, Mm -hmm. right? And if your visual impairment is to the place where you need a guide, you run with individuals that are of like physical impairment. Okay. So which makes the playing field equal, Mm -hmm. just like it would on the traditional side also. Mm -hmm. So this is from little kids that begin to juniors um, and high school. Texas has a para um, division for track and field. So I officiate a lot for track and field. So the UIL, I officiate for them for the para side. They have the 100 meters, the 400 meters, and the seated throws. Okay. So it's a really, I'm at a great place at a great time Mm. because it's Again, that crazy idea, that granular idea that has turned into this huge, I don't know what I want to call it. I mean, (laughs) um, adventure. Yeah. A huge adventure because I was wanting to maybe put on a conference or get people together that Mm -hmm. wanted to do things like that. And it has turned into a project. It has turned into a research venture. So... The research part has to do with aerodynamics and with USA Paracycling. Mm. They'll be here in June in the wind tunnel. Um, So aerospace engineering and engineering has been, I I can't even say how wonderful that they have been. They've jumped right in. They brought their students in. We're getting the project together to see how aerodynamic someone is in the wind tunnel. How are your glasses? How are your helmet? How's your, mm. your clothing? Does it catch mm-hmm. the air? Does your prosthetic catch the air? How can we change those things? Wow. So this is spanning across the university. This is not just kinesiology and sport management. Right. So yeah. it, it is going across the institution. Mm-hmm. And it's wonderful because I, I put the idea on the table, right? Uh-huh. And they're like, let's go. Yeah. And it, it brings me to tears mm-hmm. because... There are many universities, I've been at six or seven different universities and just moving around with with my family. And it's been like, yay, we really want to do it. But then it just kind of goes by Mm. the wayside. Sure. Here, I mean, we're in month nine. Actually, this started before I was even stepped on campus. Mm. This was July of last year. And 
I'm, no one knows me. I just got hired, and I'm texting Dr. Dixon, oh, my goodness, the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee want to come on campus to visit us to see if we're a fit for some mm -hmm. type of testing, maybe training, maybe a race. And it's grown from there. Wow. So it's it's been wonderful that, you know, not only do we have the research arm, we have uh, a potentially a World Cup event for paracycling coming here. Oh, that's great. And it would be an Olympic Celestian Cycling event for the 2024 Paris Games. Okay. And we're also gearing up for what's called a quad. Mm -hmm. So a quad is the four years that lead up to a, the next games, mm -hmm. which is 2028 in L.A. Oh. So we're right at the beginning. Of the and planning I, process. Right. And I stuff? think we're at okay. the right place at the right time. Yeah. And again, the community has has embraced again this mm -hmm. harebrained idea that I have <laughs> to to bring this here, but it it's so needed. I think probably we're fifteen to twenty years behind as a country mm. in para athletics mm. to the rest of the world. The world. Wow. So we should be leading the way. Yeah. And Texas A and M and our department and our school, we're going to lead the way. Mm-hmm. We're going to lead the way for U.S. Paralympics. So we want not just cycling to come here because they're the first group that said, we want to partner with you. Mm -hmm. But track and field, swimming, uh, uh, let's see, what other sports? Volleyball, alpine skiing. I mean, so you have the winter and the summer games. Sure. Mm -hmm. And we want to bring all of those groups here to do, you know, the, the testing piece, mm -hmm. the training piece. Mm -hmm. The educational piece. So, hey, you want to go to Texas A&M? We could offer you that opportunity with the School of Education and the department. We have a lot to offer. Mm -hmm. So, again, from the president's office to uh, Dean Dean Miranda, who's the dean of the School of Ed mm -hmm. Education and Human Development, Dr. Dixon, uh, the division um, chair, um, my department chair, who's uh, Dr. Uh, John Buchanan, and then all of the faculty have just come around and coalesced around this idea, mm -hmm. and now it's really got legs, and it's, it's off and running now. Mm -hmm. With that idea, I'm assuming also comes the idea of a facility. Is yes. What does what that process look like, and, and is that yes. part of the PARA project? That is PARA. I mean, that is my long-term goal, mm -hmm. is to have a place, a, a physical facility that a para-athlete, whether you're incoming, you're a junior athlete that is coming into, say, um, junior national. So junior national is kind of like the segue into the Olympic, the elite side. Okay. And then elite athletes. And then maybe after your um, time as an elite athlete is over, to stay here and make this home. Mm make this your home, but have a place like the Olympic Training Center in Colorado Springs, yeah. that would be, that's my dream. Mm -hmm. That's really what I want. And of course, I mean, it was a very, a dream that, you know, I, I would have and think that maybe it could happen, but I think it's going to happen here. We've it, got the land to do it. Yes. <laughs> we have got the space. Right. And we're a land grant institution. Yeah. We are the leading university for the state of Texas, mm -hmm. and we should be offering these things not only for the United States, mm -hmm. but also for the citizens of the state of Texas and for our community. So we can go from a community-based project all the way to international. So take, for example, a race that we may have here mm -hmm. um, in the spring of 2024. 
it would have 41 countries that would come here that would be part of their Olympic selection process. So, again, we're hoping that it's going to, to head off. We are talking now with the USOPC and USA Paracycling. Mm-hmm. We're going to go visit a race that's going to happen in Huntsville, Alabama. Okay. So the very first World Cup ever in the United States where we have international individuals coming from different countries for paracycling mm-hmm. is going to be in Huntsville. Wow. So we're invited to go there to see how they do things before the race, mm-hmm. during the race, after race, and what all of that looks like. Mm-hmm. So they have the knowledge, the institutional knowledge on how to make that happen. Mm-hmm. And so we want to make that happen here also. So we don't want just one place in the United States that it should happen. We don't want... M- us to be that also that landing place for them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, I want to switch gears just a little bit sure. and go back to your teaching. Um, I, but before we get there, absolutely love the, the para project, everything that goes along with it, that it Thank just sounds you. so cool. Thank and more you. specifically bringing together all of the aspects like education and research and engineering. I mean, like you said, it spans across the university and it's going to span across the entire community and in yes. our area. So that's really, really cool. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. I mean, and, and I just, I, I think it's got uh, the potential here in the community mm-hmm. to yeah. to really live here, mm-hmm. not not just to be an idea here, yeah. but to have a life. Yeah, definitely. So switching gears now to your teaching, yeah. what courses do you teach, and um, kind of just give me some background on yeah. what something you're you're or what you're involved in right now. Well, I would call myself the Swiss Army knife of <laughs> faculty members because I am. I have a broad amount of experience, so I have experiences in exercise physiology. Mm -hmm. I have experiences in teacher education, in adaptive physical education. I have experience in um, the rehabilitation side. I have experience in sports management. So again, I'm just that that Swiss Army Knife faculty member that can be placed anywhere. And I feel very fortunate Mm -hmm. that I've had those experiences over the years. Mm -hmm. So say, for example, this semester, um, I teach a graduate class in strength and conditioning. I teach a gr- an undergraduate class in therapeutic principles, so it's more like in in the medical side. Mm. Um, and then I teach a class uh, exercise physiology. Then I teach a class in a, in adaptive physical activity. Mm-hmm. So I touch pretty much all of the prongs that our department offers, mm-hmm. and it's nice because I can call on former students that I've had mm. to come in and talk guest speakers yeah Yeah. exactly because it's not always me as a faculty member member or Mm -hmm. me as kind of me as mama you know talking to students I mean I'm actually bringing people in the field that Mm -hmm. have had the same hopes and fears and you know oh my gosh I'm graduating now what do I do yeah you know yeah I can bring them in and they can talk about their life their journey their twists and turns to where they are now and where they want to go. Yeah. And as knowledgeable as professors are hearing from somebody who maybe is a little bit closer to you in that experience and and on that path, that can be so beneficial. Absolutely. And again, I mean, I can talk about my experiences Mm -hmm. and, and, and where I've been, but at the same time, I think it's really good to have other people come in and 
maybe demonstrate. So, for example, mm-hmm. therapeutic principles. We had um, a chiropractor come in to my class to do dry needling. Oh. Into therapeutic principles. Yeah. Dr. Michael Sass, he um, has he donated his time and his equipment mm. and his and his uh, machinery yeah. uh, to be able to not only talk about his profession and his journey, mm-hmm. not only talk about dry needling, but to demonstrate it with students and to allow students to dry needle one another. Wow. So, yeah. I mean, and I, like, I have a lot of students who are like, oh, I don't want to do anything with oh, I needle. Sign I mean, me I'm up, like, sign oh, me like, up. That like, sounds great. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so. I'll take an adjustment too. <laughs> but, exactly. And the students that are like, oh, I don't want to do this. I'm scared. It makes me nervous. Yeah. Sure. They were the ones that jumped in feet first. I love that. And they absolutely loved it. Mm-hmm. And so it's wonderful. And then I can go on the complete opposite side where I can have someone zoom in. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a former student that's a cardiac perfusionist in New York City. Wow. So he was at the epicenter of the SARS-CoV-2 mm-hmm. outbreak in New York City, and he works as a perfusionist. So he runs the heart-lung bypass machine for open-heart surgery. Mm-hmm. But they do a procedure called ECMO, mm-hmm. where basically it's cleaning the blood yep. in basic terms. And so he comes and talks to my students about maybe fields they wouldn't even think about. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of my students, they do want to do sports management or coaching or physical therapy, occupational therapy, athletic training, Mm -hmm. things that are, you know, well established within our field. But I want to get them out of their comfort zone to say, you can do these other things too. And all of a sudden I like that, that aha moment. For me, man, I mean, that's worth, that's worth every day getting up to come and teach students. Yeah. That, that aha moment to where like, I get it. Did you have an aha moment? I did. I had that aha moment actually when I was in my master's program, Mm. when I knew that I could bring all of my experiences and education together to teach at a university. I didn't even think that was a possibility. I mean, because I didn't think I was worthy to do Mm. that. I didn't think I was worthy or had the knowledge, skills, or abilities to sure. be able to do that. And again, I had a faculty mentor that said, you can do it. Mm-hmm. You know, put that hand in the back, you know, or that foot, you know, in my <laughs> back and say, you can do this. Mm-hmm. And here I am. I yeah. mean, wow, you know, I've got, oh, can't I hardly imagine, you know, 33 years in the field. Mm-hmm. It's hard to imagine. I mean, to go back, I'm thinking, how did I, how did I get here? How did I have 33 years just go by like that? Yeah. And it does go, you think at the beginning of your career, it's kind of slow, slow but all yeah. of a sudden you're at 20 years Yeah, and you have all of these experiences. And, you know, my purpose, I think in, in life mm-hmm. is to give back it. If, if I can plant that spark in that student, mm-hmm. because they're the next me, mm-hmm. They're the next me because I'm going to pass the torch to them. Mm -hmm. So they're the next leaders. And I love the idea that you can do so many things. You don't have to just choose one thing or one path. And I think so many students in in today's world, I mean, I felt the same way. I think when I was in college, like I've got to decide what I want to do. And it's, you know, and I only know of these things. Right. And like you said, when in reality, I've learned about so many things in this podcast alone, talking with others from kinesiology and sport management. There are so many options that you've never even heard of. And I feel like Texas A&M does a great job of at least putting those options in front of students. That's exactly right. And that's 
what sets Texas A&M apart from any other institution that I've been to mm-hmm. is it's not only just giving the idea, but showing and doing and volunteering and actually using the, the Aggie network. So once that Aggie network, when I reach out to individuals in the Aggie network, they immediately say, what do you need? Mm-hmm. And that is so foreign to me. It's usually like, what do you need? And then ghost. <laughs> you know, they're gone. Right, you know? right. But it's like, what do you need? Hey, you didn't get back to me within 20. Really, what do you need? Right. And I'm like, okay, I'll just put it out there, and I'll tell you what I need. And it happens. Yeah. And it happens. Mm-hmm. And so that's what makes Texas A&M special. And I feel honor and privilege and the Aggie core values are part of my life. So it was a perfect fit for me, and it's, mm-hmm. a, it's a perfect place for me to leave a legacy and to finish my career. Mm. So how lucky am I? Yeah. How lucky am I? I feel like you've talked about so many instances already, but was there a, has there been a really notable time here at Texas A&M, maybe that key memory that you just kind of wanted to pinch yourself and, and think, wow, you know, I mean, there, there's probably two. Okay. One in the classroom sure. and one on the para project. Okay. In the classroom. So, again, I've taught many classes, and I go back to this therapeutic principles class. Mm-hmm. The therapeutic principles class really does take pretty much all of our majors. So you have a real mixed bag. Mm. And I'm trying to communicate these ideas about how, how do you use modalities, how do you use these types of therapies Maybe on yourself. Maybe, maybe you're going to be a bank teller. I, I don't know. You know, yeah. maybe, you're, maybe your path in life is going to be something completely different than what you think is going to be right now. But you can use these things in your life. Mm. And those students, to start to engage with me, I mean, I'm talking about a 75-person class, mm-hmm. start to engage with me and talk with me and talk and lecture. And so I feel like, oh, man, I'm reeling them in. And, and, but they're reeling me in at the same time. Yeah. And at the end of that class, I mean, again, it's that, that great moment. It's always nice to get the howdy, how are you, but I'm a huge Star Wars fan. Okay. An enormous Star Wars <laughs> fan. They gifted me and gave me a lightsaber. Oh, my gosh. I cried for a month. Oh. <laughs> because in 30-plus in years, yeah. I've all, I mean, I, again, it's not what you give me. I mean, it's the gift of your time yeah. is for me. But mm-hmm. again, I mean, I've never been anywhere that I've been given something by a cl- a huge class. And obviously so much thought went into it. Yes. Yeah, it was and a Starbucks gift card. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they hid it yeah. from me. They built the lightsaber. They presented it to oh me. Oh, my gosh. They, oh, it was just unexpected joy. Mm-hmm. Just pure joy, yeah. you know. And then on the parasite, mm-hmm. again, Starting as a grain of salt, I just want to have conference, right? Mm-hmm. So I have to really say that Dr. Dixon, by saying, what do you need? Which, again, is like, I need this. And she's like, no, no, you really need this. this. Yeah. And Dr. Stephen Reekman, mm-hmm. it was a chance meeting at an elevator, I mean, we really didn't know one another other by email. Sure. And so he was like, why are you thinking like this? You need to think like this. I thought he was nuts. <laughs> like, you're nuts. I mean, yeah, 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 okay. But every time I talk with him, and he's on the team, mm-hmm. um, and again, it's a very large team, but 
he's the one that's really, you know, kept saying, you need to think big. You, you really need to think yeah. big because Texas A&M and the community and um, the former students will support a project if it's going to make a large impact. Yeah. And this is an impact project for mm -hmm. the whole university. So I feel very fortunate to be at the right place at the right time. And I should have asked you this like six questions ago, but what got you interested in para-athletics, para-Olympics, like that whole world? Was there something that you were introduced to it? And what was that like? I was. 15 years ago, um, I, I've worked for a lot of the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic national governing bodies. They call them NGBs. Okay. So I've worked with swimming and triathlon and track and field and cycling for, say, for example. But in track and field, I worked a lot of high school meets mm -hmm. as an official. Mm -hmm. So I came across an athlete that had a prosthetic, and he was a high jumper. Mm. Blew my mind yeah. because he, w again, there's no accommodations that are made. You, you high jump just like anyone else. He was high jumping with every other high school student, mm. and he's winning the events. Wow. Week after week after week. And, and it's not off his prosthetic leg he was jumping. He was jumping off of the, of the leg that he had. Sure. So it was just amazing. So I sat him down. And I was like, how did you get here? Wh what is that? How do you do this? Hmm. And th this is a 15-year-old student in Louisiana that's talking to me. And it just was, I'm like, it opened my eyes. Because para-athletics has been around for over 100 years, mm. but really it's moved into the mainstream here in the United States with the 1984 games and more in the 1996 games in Atlanta. Mm -hmm. That's really where it started to really, I think, for me personally, mm -hmm. really blossom into like this is something that could be offered to be inclusive of everyone. So para-athletics has both um, – physical impairments. Mm -hmm. They have intellectual impairments. Um, you also have the Special Olympic side. Okay. And they yeah. do work together, mm -hmm. but para-athletic side is more, say, is in the Olympic movement. Yes, okay. That's almost in the Olympic movement. Sure. Um, and the Special Olympics is a Special Olympics movement. So, but they, but they do cross mm -hmm. very much so. But I just happen to be on the Paralympic side because it's under the national governing bodies mm -hmm. for the, it was the U.S. Olympic Committee in the U.S. Paralympic Committee. Mm -hmm. So right at the Tokyo Games, they came together under one umbrella. Mm. So that has really been, that was my wow moment. Like, this could really be something. And I've coached a lot of those athletes, but mm -hmm. I, I couldn't really do anything other than offer my services to them. Mm -hmm. My coaching services made my officiating services to yeah. them. So from there, it's just grown little by little, mm -hmm. and now I'm to the point where I officiate para-athletics. Like I officiated the, um, the Olympic trials mm -hmm. um, in Minnesota before so the cool. Tokyo Games for wow. track and field. Mm -hmm. So it was a great place for me to start mm -hmm. and to really understand what these athletes need. And I think, again, the literature is not really good, and the research is really not good about what is needed. Yeah. You know, we think we know what they need, but we really don't. Yeah. A lot of it is piecemealed, right? So you're going able-bodied athlete and maybe have a translation over to a para-athlete, but maybe their needs are different. Yeah. 
you know, maybe their regulation of their body temperature is completely different. Mm -hmm. Maybe their regulation because of the loss of limb, their hydration status is different. We, we don't know. Yeah. We don't know. So I think the leading country probably is United Kingdom at this point. Okay. So I want to catch them and surpass them. Yeah. And I think we can do it in a very short amount of time. When you talk about different athletes having different needs, I, I even go back to you in the classroom, different yeah. students with different needs. Absolutely. And as large as kinesiology and sport management is, I mean, this is one of the biggest departments yes. in the, on the university or on campus at the university. Um, and it sounds like you do a great job of making each and every one of your students feel like they are not just another number or another name on the roster. Right. And for me too, it's like, I want to treat them like I want to be treated. You learn along the way after a long career like I've had, or I think it's almost a short career, right? <laughs> like what I would do and what I wouldn't do. Mm -hmm. Now I have to say the two years that I worked with athletics uh, before I came back to the department, um, I got to do a self-reflective look. So I was working with um, athletics and the student-athlete academic services. Mm -hmm. So I worked with student-athletes online at first and looking at different learning management systems and helping them arrange their days because their days are packed from the morning until night. Yeah. How do you fit in all these things? As a freshman coming to a large university, you might have gone to a small high school mm -hmm. and then like, oh my gosh, yeah. what do I do? And, and mom and online. dad. Yeah. And mom and dad aren't around anymore. Yes. Mom and dad aren't around anymore. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. it's like, how, how do I do this? And so yeah. I got to look at other faculty members' classes across the university mm -hmm. and think, no wonder my students didn't understand that. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, I'm going to change that. So I just kept a log of like what student athletes would tell me and what students would tell me like, you know what, when you set it up this way, I can't find where the assignment is. Mm. It's intuitive to me because I set it up. Sure. Right? <laughs> but students are like, I don't understand, you know, where it is. And many times students won't talk up. You know, I'm like, talk to me. If you can't talk to me, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's going to yeah. be talk, hurt, tough to talk to anyone. But, yeah. you know, I mean, tell me what you need and what the best solution is. Mm -hmm. So that reflective look that I was able to take, you know, kind of looking at myself in the mirror because I was looking at other faculty members' courses like, wow, that's a great idea. Mm -hmm. I'm going to use that for my course. And sure enough, that's what I've done. So trying to meet the needs of and looking at the students that I have. You know, another fun thing that I, I do is I have a, a little syllabus quiz at the beginning. So they answer questions, but one mm -hmm. of the questions is, tell me what your favorite song is right now. So I have used Spotify, and I get those songs, and I make play. Make a playlist. I make a playlist, <laughs> and I play before class starts. Everyone starts to sing, and then we have a song that we know that we're about to get ready to go yeah. again. And we do the the class lesson, and then uh, we end with, with playing songs when they go out. Yeah. So it's, awesome. it's great. So, I mean, it's just those little things yeah. that really make a difference, but those are the things that stick. Mm -hmm. You know, when a student, I can tell they're, they're stressed. You know, I, again, I have the experience and, and knowledge base to know, you know what, I need to, I need to say hello and can I help you today? Mm. That's what I want. Yeah. I mean, they... Again, they pay my salary, and without students, I don't have a job. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah. Without them, I don't have but, a job. And I, but I want to give them the best experience that I can possibly yeah. give them. And if I don't know, I will tell you, 
I don't know, but you know mm-hmm. what? I'm going to find that answer yeah. out for you. Yeah. Not every professor has that outlook. And yeah, but I've, but I've run into it more so on this podcast with kinesiology and sport management. And right. Yeah. I think the students here and, and on, like you said, on the flip side, the professors too, it's a mutual relationship. It really is. And it's very symbiotic. I mean, yeah. so it, it's, it's a give and take. Mm-hmm. And so certainly, I mean, the students understand that, hey, okay, these are the requirements and this is where Dr. Calvin has the bar set. So I cannot perform here mm. and be able to look myself in the mirror to say, you know what, I understand that information and yeah. I can take it forward because a lot of my courses are cornerstone courses, what I call, you know, those are those courses that you need to mm-hmm. build off of sure. for the next classes. Mm-hmm. So I want to make sure that you have the best understanding. And I can look at a class and I can say, everybody's got this blank look on their face. And yeah. I'm like, okay, Lisa, stop right there. Let's figure out another way to look at this. And that's what I, what I think is my greatest strength is my ability to adapt Mm. and to um, change the information based on the students that I have in a class. Because I could teach two sections of the same class. They're going to be completely, the information is the same, but maybe the presentation is different. Mm I wish I could go back to school and take your class. <laughs> I wish you could do anytime you can come in. And I guess take I could my class. go back to school. I don't really you want could. to. <laughs> you could. I mean, we have a place for you. Oh, is there anything else that you'd like to share with us today? No, I mean, I just again to the Texas A&M family. You know, thank you. Mm-hmm. I mean, I am honored and very passionate about what I do, and for them to take my little spark and to turn it into a huge fire um, and for it to catch fire around the the community is really a blessing for me. Well, I'm definitely looking forward to watching the pair project and where it goes from here. Thank so. you very much. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Thank you for the time. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to On The Move. You can catch our episodes while you're on the move by going to Spotify, Apple, or Google. And to learn more about the Department of Kinesiology and Sport Management, head to knsm.tamu.edu. This podcast is housed in the School of Education and Human Development at Texas A&M University, where we transform lives.